This is episode 98. We welcome you to the ADHD Smarter Parenting Podcast. Here to heal and elevate lives is your parenting coach, Siope Kinikini. Hello, my friends. Well, kids are going back to school. Yes, they are. Now, some states are having children do e-learning, so they are learning remotely. And a lot of states are opening up the schools where children are going to a physical building and participating. And there are some areas that are doing a mixture of both. So it's an exciting and terrifying and amazing time that we're living in. We're in the middle of a pandemic worldwide and schools are opening. So our kids are going back to school. Um, This podcast addresses that particular topic of parents preparing their children to go back to school and being able to function. And what is it that parents can do to prepare their child for the best educational experience, whether it be remotely at home or in a physical building or a combination of the two? So I wanted to start off by asking you as a parent to really consider the end outcome of what you want your child to receive or to experience from this year, this unprecedented year of kind of a topsy-turvy time for education. If you could look ahead to the end of this school year, what is it that you want your child to experience, to feel, to learn during this whole journey? And I, I need you to forecast that as a parent. And it's super important. Let me tell you why it's important. So I learned when I was a young man, I was attending college and I had a lot of options of things that I could do or paths I could take. And I just wasn't sure exactly what I wanted out of my life. And I ended up talking to the father of one of my college buddies. We were at his house. Uh, He had invited us over for dinner and we were just sitting there talking and it ended up being me and his father in the living room and we were just chatting about things that were happening in the world. And I expressed to him this, this idea of, I wasn't exactly sure, you know, what to do as far as making a decision in my life. And I needed to make a decision fairly quick on things that I wanted to do as career because school was ending. And during our discussion, wise, wise man, he looked at me and he just said, well, you know, sometimes it's difficult to project like that. Sometimes it's easier to look ahead and make a decision on what it is you want in the end and then work your way backwards. Establish steps along the way backwards to where you are now and that way you have a clear path to what you want to reach, what you want to do. I have always remembered that conversation with him. It was a powerful moment for me to clarify the confusion of everything that was happening around me at the moment and to really forecast ahead and say, this is what I want for my life. This is what I want to do. And I should find a path to reach that end goal. So I'm asking you to think this way. What is it at the end of the year that you want your child to glean or to gather? And what are the steps necessary to lead to to lead to that based on where you are now because right now there's a lot of noise happening in the world and a lot of things that are happening that are distractions and so we want to be able to provide our children with the best educational experience possible based on the circumstances we are currently in 
we want them to be happy. We want them to be successful. We want them to be able to function. And so being able to do that, forecasting ahead and then moving backwards and following those steps and guidelines along the way, it's going to relieve a lot of stress on your part as a parent because it will clarify the path that you need to take for your child. So I'm asking you to think like that in your approach to this educational school year as our children are going back in some states and in some states where uh, home, you know, remote learning is happening. Now, there is a specific skill that I'm going to talk to you about during this podcast, and I'm going to share three examples of how this one skill was able to help parents deal with behavioral issues related to school. It's important for you to understand that the skills that we teach here at Smarter Parenting are so versatile that you can apply them in a lot of different ways. And the reason that I'm sharing these examples with you is my hope is you're going to be able to recognize how you can implement this skill in your own home with your own children, how you can make it work. Now, the skill that I'm going to go over with you is preventive teaching. And preventive teaching is exactly the thing that the judge that I talked to when I was a young man trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life was suggesting I do. He actually asked me to forecast ahead. Preventive teaching is exactly that. You as a parent are going to be projecting uh, what it is that is happening or what may happen in the future, and then preparing for it and planning for it. I'm going to share with you the steps to preventive teaching because it's important for you to know what they are. And if you are a first-time listener to this podcast, this will help give you an understanding of the skill, but also will help you understand how these parents use the skill in helping their children become successful in their educational pursuits. So preventive teaching itself is pretty basic. There are only six steps to this skill. So it sounds like a lot, but it's not really. Let me explain what the steps are. Then I'll give you an example of how it works. And then I'll share the three examples of the different families who had issues or problems in relation to education in their children. So the steps to preventive teaching are step one, say something positive about your child's behavior or express empathy about how they may be feeling. Step number two, describe how you want your child to act. Now, you want to avoid telling your child what you don't want. Step number three, give your child a meaningful reason to behave that way, so the way that you described in step two. This reason must be meaningful to your child. Step four, practice the expected behavior. Now, this is the most important part of preventive teaching. Step five, find something positive they did during that practice and correct it only if it's necessary. And then step six is to continue to practice. Once the child has done it correctly at least three, four times, then they've been able to memorize it and get it into their body, into their mind, and it it starts to become more natural for them to behave that way. So six steps. Number one is to say something positive or express empathy. Number two, describe how you want your child to act. Number three, give a meaningful reason. Number four, practice. Number five, if they need correction, correct them. But if not, find something positive they did. And then number six is to continue to practice until they've done it three or four times. Okay? 
So let me tell you what this would sound like. So I'm going to go through each of the steps and tell you what to say or how to say it, or at least how I would say it when I am using this to prepare my child for school. Let's give an example that my child is going to go to school and there is a possibility that one of the other students will be using drugs. Let's say specifically acid. Okay. I would approach my child before school started and I would, uh, in step one, say something positive about my child's behavior or express empathy about how they may be feeling. So in this case, I would choose to say something empathetic about how they may be feeling. I would say to my daughter, I would say, you know, school is difficult and sometimes when you're surrounded by other students who make poor choices, they may offer drugs to you. Specifically, they may offer you to drop some acid. So in that way, I am prefacing it and telling her in the situation and expressing empathy that it may be difficult, okay? Then in step two, I want to describe to my child how I want my child to act. Now, this is important that I avoid telling my child what I don't want them to do. So I'm going to tell her what I expect her to do if somebody is asking her to uh, drop acid. So... I would say, if a friend of yours comes along and asks you to drop acid, I want you to say no, and I want you to walk away. Very specific. So say no, and I want you to walk away. Now, again, I avoided telling my child what not to do. Now, this is a tricky part because some parents want to tell their child what not to do. So be sure in your mind you are giving them very clear instructions on what exactly to do and how to do it. Okay. Now, step number three, give a meaningful reason to behave that way. And this must be a reason that is meaningful to your child. For my own child, I have to think, what are, what's motivating to my child? Why should she say no and walk away? And for my child, it's this sense of independence and being able to be responsible. And um, for her, that's a huge thing right now. So I would say that. I'd say, you know, the reason why you should say no and walk away is because it proves how independent you can be. And it shows maturity. Now, this is a meaningful reason that is meaningful for my child. Your child will be different, and you need to find what is a meaningful reason for them. But for my child specifically, it would be because it shows that you are responsible, that you can make uh, difficult choices, that you can become independent. Those are things that are meaningful to her. So I would use that. Now, this is super important as well for parents to understand that when you say things like, well, if you, you know, do drugs, then it would hurt our feelings as parents and you would destroy our family. Those are reasons that are centered around you and around other things that are not really motivating for your child. So again, you want to find things that are motivating to your child in step number three. Now, step number four, which is super important, is the practice. You want to be able to practice what your child should do. Now, initially, you are going to take the role of your child and demonstrate what to do. This is super, super important for you to do because when they are able to see you do it, not only does it give them permission to do what you just did, but it also demonstrates to them specifically what you expect them to do. 
So in this case with my daughter, I would say, okay, well, we're going to practice this. I'm going to be you, you're going to be your friend, and you're going to offer to offer acid to me, and we will see what I do, and this is what I want you to do. So then my child would come to me and say, okay, hey, have some acid here. You want some? And then I would follow through with what I described in step number two, which is say no, and then I would walk away. And I wouldn't just say, I'm walking away. I would physically walk away. Okay, We're trying to make this an immersive experience for your child. Now, I may want to do this two or three times with my child just so they are fully aware of every nuance of what I want them to do, and you can do that. But you want them to be able to experience it from that point of view of watching you do what you are describing in step number two. After that, you want to flip it, and you want your child to be the child and you be the friend, and then you practice it, and you say, hey, what's going on? How's school? Hey, I have some acid. You know, you want some? And then have your child practice what they need to do. This helps your child integrate what it is that you are expecting them to do into their body and into their mind. This helps your child know exactly how it feels to do step number two. So it's very important to practice. And you want to practice at least three times. You want to be able to see your child react this way every single time consistently. The more consistent, the better off your child is going to be. So we would practice it. And during this time while I'm practicing it with my child, I would change my approach in how I would ask my child to drop acid. I would come across as the sly friend who's like, hey, you know, you just want to try it just once, not a big deal, and have your child practice it that way. Then I would try it as an angry friend and be like, why aren't you doing this? You should try this. Come on. You're not my friend. Okay, And so I would practice it in multiple ways, and I would want to practice it in ways that are realistic to the friendships that she currently has. Because the reality is kids are introduced to drugs by their friends and people that they know. So taking on that role would require me to be like a friend and how a friend would react and act in that situation. And we would practice this until my child felt comfortable and I could tell in my child that it was an automatic response. Now, in step number five, you want to find something positive they did during the role play and correct only if necessary. So you're looking actually for the good things your child is able to do during this role play. If they need correction, you just make the correction and then you practice again. Go back to step four until they do it correctly and then continually practice. And step number six is to continue to practice. Once the child has done it correctly, practice it at least four times. Okay, so that's what it would sound like. And again, I would change it up with a teenager. I would approach it as a a friend that is super nice, a friend that is super angry, a close friend and confidant, the way a, a boyfriend would approach it, you know, different ways. So my child has that experience and knows how it feels to be in that situation because we don't know in what way someone else is going to react or act. So we're just covering all our bases. So that's what it would sound like, and that's how it would work. So preventive teaching is going to be helpful in not only something like that, but in everything that you do. Remember, we're looking and keeping in mind the end product. What is in the end that we want from our child? And in what way can we trace the steps back and help them guide them along that path so we can get the end result?
Let me share with you three examples from different parents in regards to going back to school or school behaviors that tend to be problematic for parents. The first one I want to share with you is the morning schedule and getting ready on time and getting your child at school on time. There tends to be a problem with children in the morning. Sometimes they're up way too late or they didn't get enough rest or they're super grumpy and they're argumentative in the mornings and things are just hectic. And sometimes parents bring their children, you know, super late to school and it drives them crazy because then they're late to work or it just throws everything off for the day. So in using the skill of preventive teaching, with a parent that I've worked with. Her name is Michaela. She has a son named Noah, who's seven years old. What we started to do was to evaluate, okay, what is the end goal? We want to be out by eight o'clock. That is the goal. She wants to be in the car, ready to drive out of the driveway at eight o'clock. So we started to trace back each of the steps necessary for her to be able to do that. And that included us dictating what needs to happen at what time during the morning. Now, one of the suggestions I had for her as part of this, hey, this is the goal that we want. In what ways can we simplify the steps for my child was to evaluate what she could do the night before in preparation for the morning. So what we did was we had her lay out all the clothing on the bed that he was to wear the next day. That includes pants, socks, everything included all of that. So when he got up in the morning, there was no decision making that needed to happen on the part of the child. All he had to do was get ready and his clothes were set. So it wasn't looking for shoes. They weren't looking for backpacks or books. Everything was packed and ready the night before, which saved a lot of time in the morning getting that ready. And then with Michaela and her son, we had them practice the steps to the routine. And we started off with, okay, you're going to get up, You're going to stretch. You're going to go to the bathroom. You will brush your teeth, wash your face. You will get ready and then come down, have some breakfast, grab your things, and then head out. So it seems like a fairly simple morning overall. However, with Noah, he continually had problems like not finding things in the morning or getting lost or getting frustrated or becoming distracted. And so with this mom, we use the skill of preventive teaching in order to help teach her son even the simplest things. So what we did was we had mom reenact what the morning looked like. So mom said, okay, this is how you're going to get up in the morning. And she went and laid in his bed. She woke up, she stretched, she stood up, she walked to the bathroom, and then she washed her face and she brushed her teeth. Then she stopped the role play there and she was sure that he understood what to do. Then she had him do it. So then he was in his bed. They walked through each of the steps along the way and mom praised him. And they practiced that four times with Noah, who's seven years old. And Noah was excited because he was able to do it fairly quick. Now, once he was able to do that, she then attached some additional things that he needed to do, put his clothes on. So she had, she was very systematic. It's okay. First, you're going to put on your shirt. You're going to put on your pants, your shoes, your socks. She, she had it down and it was consistent each of the times that he was dressing, then she showed him how to do it, just as an example, didn't really do it, but showed him what it would appear like, and then he would do it and practice it. 
And so they practice that. And then they attach the two pieces together in the morning. Him getting out of bed, brushing his teeth, getting all that going, and then changing into his clothes and then going downstairs. So they practice that. And as they practice that, and he became more and more familiar with that, then they timed it in order to help him keep track of how much time it would take. So mom was using preventive teaching in breaking up these steps for seven-year-old Noah in order to help him prepare and get ready for the day so they wouldn't be late. Mom practiced it, and then she practiced it the next day, even though school wasn't going to happen for another week, and they practiced it every morning until school started. And by the time school started, Noah had it down. He had it down. He knew what he was supposed to do. And because they had practiced it enough, And throughout that week before school, they were able to pick out some things that weren't working and replace them with things that would work and be more successful for them. So this was an example of how preventive teaching was very, very helpful for Michaela and Noah, because by being able to do it this way, Noah was able to integrate the expectations of what mom wanted, and he was able to reach the end goal that she had, which was to leave the house at eight o'clock. This allowed her to also have more time to prepare herself for the day and be ready, which was another stressor for her because before they would just argue about, you know, where's your shoes? Oh my gosh, where did you put that? I don't, ah, and it would make her even later because she still had to get things done for her. So this is in in one way, thinking the end in mind and then preparing for it, preparing for it. That's what this skill of preventive teaching does. Now, one of the amazing things in step three of preventive teaching, which is give a meaningful reason to behave that way, Michaela used a chart where he could earn a, a gold star and she would give him a gold star whenever he came down the stairs on time. By the end of the week, he had gold stars on every day and then she rewarded him and gave him something that he would enjoy. Most of the time it was just spending time together cooking something that he, he liked, like a dessert. So they were able to keep track of his success, and he was able to keep that. He could see days that he did really well and days that he struggled a little bit, but it was meant to help him keep track of that, and it was meaningful for Noah. So remember, step three is super important. In the practice, you also want to be sure to give a meaningful reason why they should behave that way. For Noah, the meaningful reason was because he could earn a gold star and then earn something larger, a reward afterwards. So super proud of them, Michaela, if you're listening. Great job. Keep going. And now we're going to implement that in other ways in preparing. Now, if you have a child that is not going to a building to go to school, you're going to do the remote learning evaluate then the schedule that you have in the home and the expectations for the schedule and prepare your child for that and be consistent. You want to be sure that it's consistent. This is the one thing I do want to emphasize for parents is if you are doing the remote learning, I want you to be flexible with it. Children vary. And so doing it exactly in one way may not be effective. So you want to be able to be flexible to the needs of your child and understanding, hey, we're going to make this work, we're going to figure this out, keep the end in mind, and then plan the steps backwards to where you are now so you can reach that goal a lot easier. Now let's talk about my second example that I want to share with you. I want to talk about Grant and his son Ryan. So Ryan is 14 years old. His dad, Grant, uh, had called in, and they were talking about boundaries, specifically in returning back to school with the pandemic and being separated and 
concerns about being super close to other people and catching coronavirus and all those things. So in our discussions about boundaries and being able to keep and maintain good boundaries, I used the skill of preventive teaching with Grant, and we practiced it together before he went out and talked to his son about good boundaries. His, his father was concerned that because he would be surrounded by other students, he could possibly get sick or bring it home and make other people sick. However, his son was adamant that he wanted to go to school because he missed his friends. And so they had a discussion about it. And as long as he was being safe, they agreed that they could do this. When I practiced with Grant, we focused on expressing empathy as the first step. So remember, the first step is say something positive about your child's behavior or express empathy about how they may be feeling. So with Grant, it was, I understand you want to go to school, you want to be with your friends and have that experience. So expressing that empathy, it just breaks down the walls and it allows communication to flourish between Grant and his son, Ryan. After that, he expressed his concerns. You know, you may be in a crowded hallway, may run into a friend that may want to give you a hug and, you know, may not feel like masks are important and take it off and start talking to you. And then I had Grant describe what he wanted him to do. So Grant wanted his son to tell the friend, hey, I need you to wear your mask. I'm not comfortable communicating like this, so please wear your mask. So it's a touchy subject, I know, but this is something that Grant wanted to practice with his son. So he described what he wanted his son to do. What he, what his son, what he wanted was for his son to explain that he did not feel comfortable and that he wanted his son to express that they should be wearing a mask when they communicated and to avoid physical contact. So he wanted him to be able to respond a certain way. Now, as we discussed this, we had to evaluate whether or not this is really what his son wanted or what Grant wanted. And obviously, it's something that Grant wanted his son to do. And so I invited Ryan to come into the conversation. We started talking about it. And for Ryan, after we dug a little bit deeper, we started to understand some of the reasons why he felt like it would be okay, but also some of the concerns he had. Now, that was super helpful. So some of the concerns he had is they were living with their brother who has a pre-existing condition that may put him at risk. And so in their discussion and in talking about this, his meaningful reason was that he wanted to also still protect his family. He wanted to go to school and have an opportunity to be with his friends and have an experience in junior high Uh, but he also wanted to protect his family. So that was a good reason, meaningful reason why. And that happened because we had a conversation with Ryan directly, and Ryan was able to express that. So we talked to Ryan, okay, in what ways can you react when somebody comes to you and may possibly put you at risk? And he said, well, I can just politely tell them, you know, this is what what I want to do. And in this case, Ryan came up with what he should do in step number two instead of dad. And let me tell you the the beauty of that is that when a child is able to determine these things, they're more apt and likely to follow through with them. So he came up with the meaningful reason why, because we discussed it and he was able to express that. And so that made practicing it, step four, step five, and step six, super easy. Now, if you have an older child, you may want to try this with them. And that's working through a difficult situation. Talk to them. Talk to them and communicate with them and find out 
how they would respond in a certain situation. And if it fits in line with what you want your child to do, then you can also determine what the meaningful reason why is because they'll tell you and you have this skill really wrapped up in a really pretty package. It's a beautiful present. So with Grant and Ryan, we practiced this, okay? So we started off with expressing empathy. Okay, Ryan, I know you're going back to school. There's going to be some safety precautions there, but some kids may not follow them. Step one. Step two, what I want you to do if someone's not following through with being safe is I want you to express your feelings and say, I'm not comfortable with you not wearing a mask. Will you please wear your mask when we communicate? And please, no hugging. That's step number two. Step number three. This is Grant speaking. You know, when you're able to do that and express that, people will respect it and understand. But in a way, you can have what you want, which is engagement with your friends. But you're also keeping your brother safe. You're keeping our family safe. And that's something that is really important to you. Now, I knew this worked because... That that was Grant talking in step number three, but I knew it worked because his son Ryan was nodding and said, yeah, I want to keep my brother safe. I want to keep my family safe. Okay, so he's nodding. Yes, I agree. Now, step number four, let's practice this. So I'm going to be you. This is what Grant's saying. I'm going to be you. You be me. And let's practice this so you can see what it is and what I do. And then I want you to copy what I do. The practice begins. Ryan goes up to Grant hey how's it going and he's like hey you know uh i'm uncomfortable with you not wearing a mask i'm I'm gonna ask you to please wear your mask and please no touching you know we're still friends but yeah can you please do that and then ryan's like oh okay okay and then he put on his mask and then they then grant's like okay did you see how i did that now grant did something really beautiful in this this part and he said Do you feel like your friends would react that way? And he said, Ryan said, yeah, absolutely. My friends are nice. They're cool. And if I ask them, they'll do it. I mean, they don't have a problem with that. Like nobody's going to fight me over it or anything. And they're my friends and it's not a big deal. So Ryan felt comfortable about it. Then we switched roles and had Ryan be Ryan and his dad be a friend. And they practiced it two or three times. And dad switched it up. Dad made it a little more difficult by being a difficult peer during this process. And Ryan was able to follow through without any problems. And so they talked about it and continued to practice it until school started. And school started and he went back to school and he was prepared. So again, dad had in mind the end result that he wanted. And then he worked his way back into the steps that needed to happen in order to reach that ultimate goal, right? It was a beautiful, beautiful interaction between Grant and Ryan. And it's a privilege, really, for me to work with families when I see children figure things out on their own and actually help out in the whole process of implementing the skill of preventive teaching. Now, the last example I'm going to share with you is homework routines. So as kids go back to school, this is not uncommon for any child who is involved in school or parent. There is homework that is due, and getting your child to follow through with homework routines is often very, very difficult, and it can be a pain for a lot of parents. So we're going to talk about homework routines and helping children become more successful in working through their homework routines without engaging in problems or arguing or fighting. So 
The example I want to use in this case comes from our friend Maria. I've talked about Maria before. We've become pretty good friends communicating about things that are happening with kids. Um, Maria has a teenager and talking about homework routines. Now, Maria is a single mom and she's working long hours. And so keeping on track with everything that needs to happen, both with work and home, family, children, it's a lot. And so with teenagers, what you want to do with teenagers is give them responsibilities in regards to their homework routine. I suggested to Maria that instead of asking your child, is this, is this, is this, is this done, and checking on it, the better thing to do would have your child just come and report. And so set up a structure in your home where your child comes and reports things to you. So we use the skill of preventive teaching to help her implement this system with her teenager. Again, instead of mom saying, is this done? Is your homework done? Is your... Let's stop asking all those questions, okay? Because we know kids lie about it most of the time. If they're not lying about it, they minimize it and say, I can do it, and it won't take very long. We went through the steps of preventive teaching, expressing empathy and saying something positive about your child's behavior, describing how you want your child to act. So in this case, Maria wanted her son to come to her and say, I am finished with the work or I am not finished with my homework. So she just wanted to know if he was done or if he was not done at the end of every day. Pretty simple. So we're not going to get into the talking about getting it all done. We're going to talk about being able to report this and giving the child the responsibility to do that. That's what she wanted her son to do. At the end of the day, before he went to bed, to come into her room and say, okay, I finished all my schoolwork today, or to come in and say, I didn't finish my schoolwork. We were going to start here, and then as this reporting system was implemented, then we were going to address what to do when he didn't finish his homework. But we were going to focus in on this behavior first, right? In talking to Maria, I said, okay, so what's a meaningful reason for your child to come in and report to you every day? And she said, well, you know, he does come in anyway every day to talk to me and about what's happening in his day. And he also comes in to ask how my day has been. And I said, okay. So it's meaningful for him to communicate with you, right? And so she said, yes. And I said, well, what else? Like, what about the communication between you two makes him come in every day? And she says, well, I think he just knows that I'm tired at the end of the day and he just wants to check in on me. Sometimes he'll make me something to eat or bring me some something to drink, like something warm, like milk. And they said, oh, that's great. That's a meaningful reason. So we plugged that into step number three, which was give your child a meaningful reason to behave that way. And we said, hey, you know, when you come in and you give me warm milk and that makes me feel good, it also makes me feel good when you can tell me if you finished your work or you haven't finished your schoolwork. I just want to know. And then we practiced the behavior. So I practiced it with Maria to be sure that she was able to see me do it. And then I had her do it in her role and then have her practice it with her son. So it looked something like this. It sounded something like this. Hey, son, I know you've had a long day. And I know at the end of the day, we're all tired. At the end of the day, I want you to come into my room and tell me if you have finished your homework or if you didn't finish your homework. When you do that, it just shows me that you care, and I am so grateful when you come into my room and bring me a drink, and it really means a lot to me, and I really want to know what's happening in your day, even at school. So we're going to practice this. I'm going to be you, you're going to be me, 
and I'm going to come in the room and I'm going to just tell you that I finished my schoolwork or I didn't finish my schoolwork. So let's practice it. And then the practice happens. So that's going through steps one, two, three, four, and then practicing. Hey, I'm coming in the room. I didn't finish my schoolwork today. Oh, okay. Thank you for letting me know. Wait. Now, Maria had a hard time because she wanted to correct it. And I said, Maria, we're not going to correct it right now. What we want to do is create an environment where he feels comfortable coming to you, talking about difficult topics like that without being confronted right away. So once he starts feeling comfortable, then we can start addressing the things that have not been finished in schoolwork. And there could be multiple reasons why that he may not be able to finish. He may be doing a group project where, uh, you know, another member of the group still have things they need to do in, for, in order to finish the project, or he could be out of paper or whatever it may be. And he may actually communicate those things to you. So we practiced it. She practiced it with her son. And guess what? This is the amazing thing. Maria reported that he actually would come in and then try and explain to her why he was not finished with his schoolwork. That was amazing for her because she's like, oh, I didn't even have to bring it up. Whenever he came in and said, I didn't finish my schoolwork, and that's all we were going to do, he said, well, let me tell you why. And then he started to explain why. And the communication between them was way better. So they were able to work on things to help him finish his schoolwork. Now, in this case, Maria was looking ahead and saying, okay, I want to be sure my child is getting his schoolwork done, right? What are the steps I need to go through to check that and then work backwards? And instead of going full board to being sure that everything is done and boom, 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 what we did is we focused on one step at a time and we were going to build on it to eventually get to the point where it would reach the goal that she had, which was be sure that all his homework is, is finished and completed. Super, super great that he's able to come in and communicate with her and tell her why things are not done. And what she found even more during their discussions, as he continually came in in the evening to report on what was happening in his day, he actually came in with solutions on how he was going to fix it. When you use effective ways of interacting with your children, your children will find ways to make things work and they desire they want, they crave the attention and the positive interaction that you as parents can give them. Learning this skill of preventive teaching and having her implement it one step at a time actually invited and opened the door for him to come in with what goodness he had in order to help improve the relationship and improve their communication it is such a versatile and powerful skill. Preventive teaching is one of my favorite, favorite skills that we have on Smarter Parenting. And it's one that I recommend every parent should learn and implement. Because when you can look far enough ahead and plan for it and even work your way backwards, you have very clear paths on what you need to do in order to reach your goal. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So my challenge to you is to memorize. I want you to absolutely memorize this preventive teaching, the steps to preventive teaching. I want you to look ahead. What is it that you desire at the end of this school year as far as success for your children and work your way back? And what are the steps necessary to reach that goal? Preventive teaching keeps you from veering off that path. It keeps you on track. It helps your child stay on track. It gives them permission 
to move forward and know exactly what to do, what to say, how to behave in situations that you prepare them for. Now, I know we are living in some uncertain times, and this year has been absolutely different than any other year I have ever lived on this planet. It has been such an interesting year this year, and there is so much going on. And yet, at the same time, I count my blessings in the things that have been happening with families during this time, where I have seen a lot of improvement, a lot of time parents have been able to spend with their children in building relationships. That has been beautiful. I've also feel greatly blessed that this podcast is available, that we can share this information with you from the teaching family model. I'm grateful to share the teaching family model. I mean, this this model has been around forever, longer than I've been alive, and it's still being used by professionals around the world, and now we're sharing it with you for free. I mean, think of the great blessing it is to be able to do something like this and to share it with families around the world. So there are a lot of things to be grateful for, and I'm grateful for you as a listener. Taking time out of your day, I realize you are busy. Thank you for listening and for being a part of the Smarter Parenting family. Very, very grateful for you. This is an absolute must for you to learn is preventive teaching. I'm going to invite you, if you have any questions, to sign up for coaching. There is an opportunity for you to expand, and we can individualize this to your child. Like the families that I've discussed here, they've all been introduced to me through coaching. So call me up. Set up an appointment. You can find it on the Smarter Parenting website. Let's talk. Let's work through these things. Let me individualize this for you and help you out because let me tell you, there is no investment more important than the investment that you are going to make in your children absolutely none when everything else fades away what will be left is your family and i consider you part of mine so i'm wishing you the best this week good luck back in school and i will see you again next time all right bye